0: good morning, church family. He will never let us down. Amen. My, my, uh, there's something in me I think that like pushes back against singing things like that. I'm like, hey, God, you, you, he's never failed us. Well, and then my mind can go to certain things and I go, no, he hasn't. Maybe from my view, there are things that I would do differently, but it's really those songs like that really push me back to God's goodness and his sovereignty over my life. We need those reminders every week. That's why we, that's why we gather. That's why we need one another. We, that's why we need to sing songs according to God's word. That's why we need to uh, go to his word. So well, we're going to continue on in the gospel of Luke this morning in chapter nine. So uh, you, can, you can follow along there with me if you'd like. Uh, Several times in our married life, uh, our family has gone to a particular hiking spot in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. It's called Hanging Lake. Uh, Now, Hanging Lake is not a a super intense hike. Uh, It's about a three mile round trip, but it's a lot of climbing. And, and, And we've also learned that climbing is a little more exciting and intense when you carry an infant or a toddler on your shoulders the whole way. Just a way to make it a little more fun. So I'm sure many of you have tried that. Uh, But this particular hike uh, is one that that when you get to the top, it's actually a payoff. Like some hikes you get to the end and you're like, okay, I guess we'll go back now. Uh, But this one is not. This one is, it's a payoff. There's this incredible waterfall uh, falling into this crystal clear lake where you can see all the way to the bottom of the lake. I mean, it's just, it's breathtaking. Uh, And and, and man, it's just, it it, it is amazing. Uh, But something happens on a challenging hike. You may have experienced this, especially on a trail uh, that's unfamiliar to you. We all kind of turn into children on a road trip, don't we? It's like, are we there yet? Uh, how much further? Or is this even gonna be worth it? Uh, should we just go back? Uh, and and that's, that's when you understand, I think, the beauty of two things on, on a hike. Uh, number one, mile markers. Mile markers help you, right? They help you know, hey, I've been, I'm not going in a circle, I'm moving forward. I'm getting closer, uh, closer to where I want to be. I'm making progress. But maybe more, than, more important than mile markers are fellow hikers. And I'm not talking about like your traveling party, the people that came with you. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the ones who have already been to the top, and they are coming back down, crossing your path on their way. Uh, and, and they have one of the most important jobs on the mountain. One of the most important responsibilities and soon it's going to be your job on their way down. What do they tell you? You're getting close. You're almost there. It's worth it. It's beautiful. Just keep up, keep going. And on, on some rare hikes, there are, there's those moments where you can get to a lookout where you can actually get in a clearing and see, you can see where you're going. And it's a little break from the climbing and you go, oh yeah, there it is. That's where I want to get to. That's the beauty. It's within reach. Well, today's passage is, is kind of this mysterious encounter that I think ser- serves as a turning point in, in Luke and Jesus and his three closest friends are going to step into a clearing with God and they're going to get a reassuring sneak peek of what's to come. They're gonna see the glory of God to come and what they're gonna see is breathtaking. So as these men encounter God's glory, I think he wants us to see and I hope we'll see three things that will sustain us. Number one, we need a vision of glory. Number two, we need a vision of redemptive history. And number three, we need a vision of the coming savior. Let's, let's pray together. I just want to invite you just for a minute, just right where you're at, just to pray for your own heart this morning and that God would give you ears to hear, a heart to receive his word as we look together to to the scriptures. Now would you would you pray would you pray for me that I would that I would speak the truth of God's word that I wouldn't veer from it um, and that, that the Spirit would speak to us. Oh Father, we need you this morning. What else, what other hope is there for us? What other source of truth and life is there that if you don't reveal yourself, if you don't show yourself to us this morning, Lord, we have nothing. But God, we also know that you have given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You've, you've enabled us to see the beauty of who you are. So Lord, would you give us soft hearts to hear? Would you, would you help us? Would you help us to love and to see our Savior? Father, we also lift up uh, Ann's family. Uh, God, we pray for them this week as they grieve and as they remember. Father, would you, um, would you sustain them? And we praise you for uh, the blessing that she has been to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, number one, a vision of glory. So this chapter, Luke chapter nine, uh, is one of the main turning points in Luke's gospel. Uh, if you can think back, just kind of travel back with me uh, through the journey we've had through this, this text. Uh, in the first three chapters of Luke, we saw, what do we see? The miraculous beginnings of Jesus's life on earth, his miraculous birth, his emergence on the scene, John the Baptist telling the crowd, that's him, that's the one we've waited for. There's, there's that, that proud father moment, right, when at his baptism, when the father's voice from heaven comes down and proclaims, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. And, and that moment of his baptism kind of kicks off a season of ministry, uh, that Jesus goes from there in chapters four to nine, then become this picture of Jesus's ministry in Galilee. Uh, he's calling disciples to follow and to travel with him. He's, he's healing. He's forgiving. He's getting some pushback from the religious leaders, uh, but, he's, but he's ministering to the hurting and he's wowing his disciples. It's been a sweet journey. I, I pray it's been a really enjoyable walk through the scriptures. Luke's gospel is such an encouragement to us. I've, I've loved studying and walking through it. But in chapter nine, the shift this shift is kind of subtle, uh, enough that we might even miss it, but, but, but something is changing here. And after two years or so of ministry, Jesus is about to, to change his focus. In a few verses, we'll see that he turns his focus toward traveling to Jerusalem. And the shift began in our text a couple of weeks ago uh, when he's starting to ask some deeper questions to his disciples. Remember, Herod had been asking, what is going on with Jesus? Herod's trying to figure it out. And and after after they feed the 5,000, remember, uh, Jesus pulls his, his disciples aside and he says, who do the crowds say that I am? Better yet, you've been traveling with me for two years. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, answers boldly. Sometimes he nails it, other times not so much. Uh, He answers boldly, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, is what it says in Matthew's account. He's he's nailing it. You're the Messiah, the King. Amen, right? What a a climax of of the ministry of of Jesus. Uh, That that this ragtag, island of misfit toys (laughs) group of disciples, they're finally getting it. They're finally understanding it, seeing and believing some right things about who Jesus is. But then Jesus' response to that confession is well, it's just, it's jarring. Like it's, 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 it's really a, a reality check to what we've seen. And it, it's unexpected, I think. Here's his response number one, he says, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be killed and resurrected, which we can, we'll see going forward. They didn't understand, they didn't get it. And then number two, he tells them, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. You'll need to deny yourself. In fact, he's going to tell them, if, if you want to save your life, then you'll have to lose it. That was, this is was like a, a sucker punch, right? Wait, it, it was all building to that? That's, that's where we're headed? We watched you heal and forgive, listened to you proclaim the kingdom. We've rightly, we've rightly seen that you're the king, you're the Messiah coming to rule, all just so that you can die? And maybe us too. Why, why even be a Messiah then? But right at the end of that text, the verse right before our text today in verse 27, uh, he gives a little glimmer. And he says this, he says, take heart. This is, he's trying to embolden them, take heart. Because some of you uh, are going to see the kingdom. The kingdom is still coming. And some of you are gonna get to see it. You're gonna get to taste it before you die before you taste death. And maybe, maybe you feel you, you've kind of found yourself in a place sort of like that, where, where you, yes, you believe the truth of the gospel that Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The gospel is sweet to you, but still the prospect of faithfully enduring with him feels really heavy. There's a daily dying. And it feels like there's always just hardship and suffering all around. We need a vision of the glorious Son of God. And we need a vision of Him with us. That though it's dark, that though it's heavy, that He is actually carrying us with Him. That He's going to be with us to the end. And I think this is the gift that Jesus gives here to His closest three friends. Look at verse 28. We read that about eight days after this conversation, the one that we just talked about, he took along Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. So this is, this is basically Luke's way of saying, this is right after what Jesus had just said, right after some of you won't taste death until you see the kingdom of God. And he takes his inner circle up onto the mountain. Now, I love that Jesus had an inner circle. Like he had guys that were close to him he had friends that he prayed with, that he turns to. I, and I pray that you've experienced this. It, some of you in, in our body have been that for me. Um, and, and, I, and I know that some of you have been it for one another. It's not, it's not elitist or clicky to have people that you go to pray with, to have people that encourage you to press on in the Lord. We, we need that. Uh, Jesus wanted that, he needed that. And so should we. And notice this is the same group that he took with him into the garden, deeper into the garden to pray the night before he died. Um, and, and we're not gonna get into it here, but it's isn't it weird that they always fall asleep? Like, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know what to even really do with that, but other than just to say, there's something there. They're falling asleep a lot. I don't think it's like, a, I don't think it's like an insomnia thing. I, surely it's not a medical problem. Like There's something spiritual going on, that they're asleep at some key moments, um, but we won't spend a lot of time on that. Uh, but uh, maybe that encourages you. Maybe, maybe you feel like, man, spiritually, I'm asleep sometimes when I should be awake. So if the Lord speaks through that, praise God. Uh, verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed <clears throat> and his clothes became dazzling white. So, so, yeah, we've seen Jesus do amazing things, right? We've seen him do miracles. But this is the only place in, in the gospel accounts where we see this kind of physical pulling back of the curtain, right? We see this physical manifestation of Jesus's identity. We sing it at Christmas, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. But for just a minute, the veil is getting pulled back. It's, it's the Clark Kent moment where the, 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 the dress shirt is kind of getting pulled apart and you can see the S in there. That's who he is. And notice, Jesus is the one glowing. <clears throat> He's the only one in the, mo- in the moment glowing. We're about to see Moses, we're about to see Elijah, but Jesus is the one who has a face and clothes that are dazzling, which is really just a word, another, another way to say it. they're like lightning and this wasn't some like external thing. Jesus hadn't been standing too near the radiation. Like he hadn't been out in the sun too much. Uh, no, when, remember, when, remember when Moses had his face glow from being in the presence of God? Moses' face glowed because he had been too close to God. He had been with God. An external source had made his face light up, but that's not what happened here. This is Jesus, the, the internal nature of who Jesus is coming out in physical form. His change is coming, his divine glory on display, if only for just a minute that they might see. And so Jesus is inviting his his dear friends into that moment. He could have done this alone. He could have received the encouragement of being and praying with the Father alone. Uh, But no, he wants to give them a vision for the days ahead. He wants to reinforce that this season with me was not a fad. It wasn't just something you're gonna look back on and go, remember that two or three years where we were really close with that Jesus guy? No, he's inviting them to see for themselves. I am exactly who I've told you I am. I'm the glorious son of God. So come come and see my glory. And don't we need that? We need to walk outside. We need to see the glory of God. We need times in his word. We, we need to... I mean, if you haven't gone and seen those like new uh, telescope images that are coming in, go look at that. Go see how vast the, the, the creation is. See how huge God is. We need to hear the prayers of our brothers and sisters. We need to, we need to be awed as, as the Lord meets us in the preaching of his word. At the communion table, we need to remember him and be blown away. We need to weep at the beauty of the gospel. This is what we need. We need that sort of vision. And Jesus was offering that, but that like cranked up to 11. Like it's on steroids in this moment for his friends so that they might be sustained for what lies in front of them. Number two, we need a vision of redemptive history. Look at verse 30. Suddenly, two men were talking with him Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So I just think of like the, the commendation of this moment, right? If, if one of you walked up to me tomorrow and said, I am the chosen voice, I have been chosen to sing the songs that will bring harmony and melody to the whole world, I, I would probably, I'd probably laugh because yeah, I just would. I'm sorry. uh, That's great. We've been promised that before uh, by Barry Manilow. He said he would sing the songs that make the whole world sing, but we didn't believe him because it was Barry Manilow. We were like, yeah, it can't be. It's Barry Manilow. Um, but, But if I woke up from a nap and I saw you standing there with Whitney Houston, Freddie Mercury, John Lennon, all raised from the dead, and you're having some conversation about the songs you're gonna sing, I'd at least be curious. (laughs) That's something I'd pay attention to, right? Moses and Elijah, these were central to God's plan throughout the ages. Moses had rescued God's people. He had received God's law. Elijah was the prophet who had boldly declared God's power. He'd actually been taken to heaven. He skipped death. I mean, these are hallmarks of the, the, the Jewish faith. You want to convince someone that you're the long-awaited, long-predicted Messiah from God? Then maybe one way to do that would be to have your face glow and to hang out with, a, with, hang out with Moses and Elijah. I mean, if, you, if you're thinking about a good way to get started, maybe that would be it. So that's what Peter wakes up to. Look at uh, verse 32. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep And when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. So again, they're doing the very apostle thing to do, which is to fall asleep at key moments. Um, But remember, uh, Peter had already declared to Jesus, right? He had already said rightly to Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter was already convinced. But as a good Jew in that moment, this scene would have taken Peter's breath away, right? Right? Peter knew the Old Testament. He knew that Israel was waiting for a prophet like Moses. That's what Deuteronomy said. Moses said in Deuteronomy 18, he said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. And the people lamented and prophets lamented over the years that that prophet was still to come. And so they waited. And here is Moses standing with Jesus. And they were waiting for the return of one like Elijah. Malachi predicted this in Malachi chapter four. He said in verse five, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So Peter is stunned. He is blown away in this moment. So so what do you do? Like, how do you react in that moment? Peter doesn't know. Like he really doesn't know what to do, but that's not gonna stop him from doing stuff. Like he's still gonna do stuff. He's still gonna say stuff because he's Peter. And that's how how he rolls. Uh, Look in verse 33. As the two men were departing from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he was saying. That's what Peter, that's Peter's legacy he gets left in, that's left in the scriptures for us all to read forever. Peter did not know what he was saying. He's going, Look, look, Jesus, I know there's something happening. I know you're heading to Jerusalem, but th- this is incredible. We don't need to leave. Let's stay here. This is too good. It's at least for a little while, let's stay. And we can kind of laugh at Peter in the moment, but I, I think we're a lot like him, aren't we? The Lord is at work. The Lord is leading us places. And so often we just go, man, it's, it seems better here, Lord. It's, I, I, instead of waiting and praying and seeking God for next steps, it's like, God, I think this is more comfortable. I think this is, this is sweet right here. Peter's going, why, why would we let this moment end? Jesus is glowing. My spiritual heroes are here. What an honor, Mr. Moses! It's so great to see you, uh, Mr. Eli- Prophet Elijah. I'm not sure what he would call him, uh, Elijah. I, n- I never thought I'd get to meet you. Uh, tell me a little bit about. I mean, can you imagine what he would have wanted to know? And then he's just, I, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna build something. I'm gonna build you a, a tabernacle, a shelter. Uh, and I'm gonna build one for each of you. Uh, I've got it. Don't worry about it. I'm on it. Peter, James, and John, they are like in this moment. They are Bill and Ted and they have gotten their they've gotten their theological historical heroes in one place and they had no time traveling phone booth i mean they're they're all there together it's a moment and peter is having a moment and i think in his moment he's missing what the lord was actually trying to do and what he was showing him the early church father jerome said this about peter in this moment he said peter Think not of the three tabernacles when there is but one. And as though in direct reply to Peter's short-sighted zeal, God the Father says, enough, enough. And his rebuke comes in and it comes in with power. Look at verse 34. While he was saying this, a cloud appeared and overshadowed them. They became afraid as they entered the cloud. The father, the fa- while Peter was talking, he interrupts Peter. That's not something you really want is God to just come in and interrupt you. That means you need to, you need to stop. And the terrifying presence of God surrounds them. This is, this is the text doesn't quite gra- grasp it here, but it's a bright cloud a terrifying light. So there's two sources of light here. There's, there's the source of divine light coming from within Jesus. And then there's the terrifying light in the presence of the father that's coming and surrounding all of them. This is now holy ground. And they are all rightly afraid. Moses has to be thinking, man, I, I had some stuff happen like this. I had some stuff and it's time, it's time to just be quiet. Elijah would recall, I remember when fire came, the whirlwind and fire came from heaven and I was, I, the, the, the prophets of Baal were destroyed. This is, this is they, they experienced these things. And now just like it had happened at Christ's baptism, the voice of heaven speaks up and speaks into the moment. Look at verse 35. Then a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son, the chosen one. Listen to him. So now we know this is the voice of the father coming in. So there's five other giants of our faith in this scene. There's, there's five ones other than Jesus. And Peter wanted to make a tabernacle for at least three people there, right? So there's, there's a lot happening, but the father speaks and leaves no question as he says, this is my son. There is only one preeminent one in this scene. What does the father call Jesus? My son. This is a term of relational love. And it's also a term to say, this is one like me. This is one who is God. He is the chosen one, the father says, meaning this is the Messiah. This is the anointed king. And we may be going, well, didn't Peter already know that? Like, he already said that. Uh, he got that one right. That's, that's what he had said when Jesus said, who do you say I am? He said, you're the Messiah. But even though Peter had theologically right answers, God will not share his glory. He will not allow Peter, James, and John to simply see Jesus as one face on the Mount Rushmore of redemptive history. No, Jesus is the mountain. He's the whole thing. Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, John, these are but pencil sketches at the foot of the mountain of God. Blips on the radar, but the story arc of redemptive history takes us to the rock that is Jesus. There is only one beloved son of God and the father speaks And what's amazing, the father actually is quoting the, the 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 prophecy from Deuteronomy. He he says, "Listen to him." That's what said should happen to the prophet that is like Moses. Listen to him. Jesus is everything. He is everything, and Peter, Peter has to see this. James and John have to see this. Soon for them, it will be very unpopular as they preach the exclusivity of Jesus. It will be very difficult for them as they they speak of Jesus and him alone as the salvation for both Jew and Gentile. There will be Judaizers that come into the church that will try to convince Christians to go back to the law of Moses in order to be righteous, to go back to Moses and Elijah. And their message will always be Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus feast days. Jesus plus dietary laws. Jesus plus additional works to attain favor with God. Listen, if, if you're here today and, and you've, never, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I just want you to know you don't need anything else. There's nothing else that you need to come to him. It's not Jesus plus how much can I do this week? It's Jesus, his life for you. His life was perfect for you. You won't be able to do it. His death was for your sins, for your failures. You won't be able to make it up to him. Jesus and him alone is what you need. That's what all of us need. so I would just encourage you, go to him. Even in this moment, if you don't know Jesus, just tell him, I need you. I don't have anything else to give. Would you forgive me and would you make me yours? And he will cry out to him. This is why it's, it's never seen as a good thing in the New Testament when we see people returning back to Judaism. That, that, that sort of legalism, that sort of finding their identity and their value before God through the law, that was bondage. It was, it was enslavement. But it was for freedom that Christ... Set us free from the law. That Jesus died for sin. He rose from the dead. So to run back to the law to save us is to reject Jesus. Who else do you need? Do you need Moses? Jesus is the true and the better Moses who delivers all people who would come to him. Do you need a reappearance of Elijah? Remember in the spirit of Elijah is what we're told, that John the Baptist came. But what was he doing? John the Baptist's whole life was just a big flashing arrow pointing right at Jesus over and over. And Jesus is the true prophet, the one who will triumph over the power of the age. The law and the prophets all testify about Jesus, the son of God. And that is the Jesus only, the Jesus alone vision that the disciples needed. And it's the one that we need. May no other vision for our lives captivate us. It's not Jesus plus your spouse. It's not Jesus plus having the perfect family. It's not Jesus plus executing the perfect Bible reading plan. It's not Jesus plus being the best lover of neighbor. It's not Jesus plus your career. It's not Jesus plus your reputation in the community. It's none of those things. It's Christ alone. He is your righteousness. He's your only hope. Don't buy into any other gospel that the culture is selling you. It's Jesus, him alone. We need to see that. Peter needed to see that. We need to see it with him. And then number three, we need a vision of the coming savior. So the text kind of ends abruptly in verse 36. This big moment has happened. And then in verse 36, uh, we read, after the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. So no more Moses, no more Elijah, no only Jesus. The The only glorious one in the moment, he's the one left standing And now he's ready. Now he's ready to gather his disciples and to turn toward Jerusalem. And so how how are Peter and the boys doing now? We see in the second half of this verse, what do we read about them? They kept silent. That's probably about right. And at that time, they told no one what they had seen. They probably just needed to be quiet, right? We should just not talk much now the men who had been ready with zeal, right? They were, they were ready to build shelters uh, for these, for these, these ancient uh, heroes of the faith and they're left silent. Something changed in them. They had seen something glorious. They had seen the glorious one. And of course they wouldn't stay silent for long. No, they would preach and write and declare the glory of God to others, to us. This isn't to say they never faltered, they did. Uh, This isn't to say that this was the last dumb thing uh, that Peter would do or say, Uh, it wasn't. Becoming face to face with majesty changed them. Staring into the furious glory of God, this would sustain them going forward as they would stand before uh, angry Jewish leaders, as they would stand before Roman kings, as they would stand before before those who were hurting, the Gentiles who were far from God. This single-minded hope in Christ, this this is what they would proclaim. That's the hope that they had. That's the gospel that they would share. It's the testimony they gave us. Think about the testimony that we have from Peter and John. Both present in this moment. Listen to John's testimony. This is, these are well-known passages from John, his gospel account. John chapter one. He's speaking about Jesus. He says, that light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. In verse seven, he speaks about John the Baptist. He says, John came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John had seen the glorious one of light, hadn't he? Verse 14, he says this, the word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. We observed his glory. They saw it. The glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. They knew who he was. They had been there with him. The glorious one, son of the father, Think of Peter's testimony. In 2 Peter chapter one, this is what Peter writes. He says, I think it is right, as long as as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, which I love that he says he's gonna wake them up. Um, So Peter's, this is growth. Maybe he knows how prone we are. Uh, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed and you will do well to pay attention to it as it is a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The lamp of the good news of Jesus was a lamp in the dark place. And that lamp had light because they had seen the light of Christ. They had known him. They had seen him. It had been confirmed to them. Why? Because they had seen the one that was lit up in that moment. They had later seen him risen from the dead. Peter was changed by what he saw. And he was ever confident that he must proclaim it. And you may be going, why? Well, I, I didn't get to. I didn't get to see what Peter saw. I didn't see Moses and Elijah. And that's, that's why I believe Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter one. He writes in verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We may not have stood in the cloud, we may not have talked on the mountain with these great heroes of the faith, but by God's grace, we have the sure testimony. We have the eyewitness accounts of those who had been there with him and we have it confirmed in our hearts as the spirit has been given to us. Peter wrote about their testimony. He said, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace of God that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. It was revealed to them that they were not only serving themselves, but you. These things have, been now, have now been announced to you Uh, Through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This is why God's word is so precious to us. So it's why walking through Luke's gospel has been so precious because we're seeing the accounts. This is what happened. This is what Jesus did. This is what he said. Because it's through his word that the Holy Spirit brings us, preaches to us the good news of the risen Christ. But not only that, not only do we have the testimony of his word, but we have the testimony of our brothers and our sisters preaching to us, urging us to press on. We have Miss Mary Ann Bryan, who this week sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel with her hospice nurse, telling her that she wanted her to come to know Jesus. Mary Ann urges us, she preaches Jesus to us. She, She calls us to keep going. Our brother Dave Furman last week tells us the stories of these Afghani, uh, these Afghani men who came to know Jesus because they saw him in a dream. And they had friends who had been faithful to speak of Jesus and to invite them to church so that when they heard the message, they said, yes, I wanna follow this Jesus. This, this example, this preaches and urges us on. The kingdom is still advancing. Jesus is still with us. And then many in our body your testimony as you go through suffering, through trials, and yet you cling to Jesus. The Rices, Jessica Gann, those who have left everything behind so that they might go and proclaim the good news of Jesus in places that he is not known. Their testimonies exhort us. The Lord is with you. Press on, press on. In fact, this, this got me thinking that that. That Luke is the one who is telling this amazing story here, right? But where was Luke? He wasn't there. How did he even know about this? We, he knows about this because he has talked to eye of witnesses. He has interviewed others. He either spoke with Peter himself. He may have, may have talked to Mark, uh, who, who many believe Peter, Peter's go- Peter was sharing the gospel, the stories to Mark. In fact, Luke is the only place where we see this conversation uh, that Moses and Elijah were having as they sought to encourage Jesus and, and the apostles. And we kind of passed over this earlier, but I, but I want us to end with this because I, th- I think this this little part of the t- the story, this conversation, I think it I think it, it sustained them and encouraged them, and I think it will us as well. Look back at verse thirty. This is verse thirty uh, in their exchange on the mountain. We read that suddenly two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So of all all of the points of topics of conversation that could have been on the table, I mean, there's so much to talk about, right? So much to talk about what Elijah had done and what Moses had done, their, their amazing stories. But what, was, what, what were they wanting to talk about? It was all about Jesus and what he was about to do. And normally, departures aren't really that exciting. Uh, but, but really, I mean, if you really think about it, these guys are like the experts. They're like the departure experts. Moses had led a departure out of Egypt They had gone through the the parted waters on dry land, leading God's people. Elijah, what kind of departure? He had the best departure of them all, right? Like the most crazy one, where he was taken up into a chariot of fire, taken up into glory. But in this glorious moment, they don't care a thing about their departure. They wanna talk about the departure, the one of Jesus, not Elijah being swept up, not Moses going through the parted sea. That's all small potatoes now. And believe it or not, the Greek word here for departure is the word exodus. It's the word exodus. The the real exodus is coming. At this turning point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is heading to Jerusalem where he is going to lead the exodus of all exoduses. It is going to be the true and better exodus. And instead of fighting a Pharaoh... Jesus will take on the ruthless power of sin and death. Instead of rescuing the Jewish captives through parted waters, he's going to burst through the parted waters of the grave. And by his new life, he will take all those who believe to freedom. This is all that Moses and Elijah want to talk about. And it's the source. It's all we want to talk about, isn't it? It's the source of our joy this morning. And even now, Even now when life feels a little bit like a wilderness because that's where they got after the exodus, right? They got out into the wilderness. They're free, but they're still wandering. And it feels a little bit like that now, doesn't it? But what do we long for? We long for that day when our King comes again in power. He comes again in a dazzling robe to lead all of those who trust him all of us to our promised land, our inheritance, our new earth together forever with him. Moses and Elijah knew that was coming. And now we get to gaze on the glorious coming of Jesus. It's coming. You may not get to see Elijah. You may not get to see Moses, but a real vision of our savior is going to help you endure to the end. What a promise. It's beautiful. Just hold on. This is the mile marker of mile markers. You're getting close. And Jesus is going to carry you to the end. He will be faithful to complete what he has started in you. And he is going to carry you on to glory. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We praise you that we are children of the most high God and that we are servants of the King of Kings, the one who will take us to glory, the one who will rule over us with kindness. But Father, even now, we come before you and we rest in our King. We rest in the one who has freed us from sin. And as we, as we wander, as we struggle in here and now, Father, we, we praise you for the vision of the glory that is to come. God, would you help us? Would you help us to see our glorious Savior? And would you change us as you've promised from one glory to another, making us more into the image of your Son? This is your work in us. We bring nothing You are the one who does the work. You are the one who is faithful. We praise you. You are true. You are steadfast. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.